you tired to clean your floors after playtime? Forgot to vacuum before your friends bring their little ones over? Let Eufy X10 Pro Omni help. Powerful 8,000 PA suction removes debris, and Mop Master dual mop pads scrub away stubborn stains with ease. Save time and keep your floors cleaner. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. There are a lot of reasons to be excited about this industry, if you ask me. I think it's a place where we can have fantastic collaborations and partnerships amongst hardware, software, media, OEMs, everyone working together in the EV and EV charging industry. I'm really excited to have kind of, you know, a friend of out of spec, out of spec in a way, uh, on to the out of spec podcast today. And that is Dan Larson. You are the product and solution manager at Autel Energy. So thank you for joining me on the out of spec podcast today. It's really great to have you here. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Francie. Yeah, so we, of course, were in person recently, which we'll dive into into a minute, but usually it goes, I meet someone virtually first and then in person, but this way, we did it the opposite, which is kind of nice. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah, an awesome event out there. I'd love to know more about your background, Dan, um, because I know, of course, product and solutions manager at Autel Energy, but how does this um, come to be? Because Autel hasn't always been in this space, first off, you know, there's many also kind of uh, different portions of Autel, but how did, what, tell me a little bit about your background, especially so that our audience can know like where you came from and how you got to where you are today. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, so yeah, Dan Larson, product and solutions manager with Autel, uh, based out of Minneapolis, Minnesota. And, um, yeah, my, my entrance into the EV space is a little different than most. I actually started out in the mechanical repair industry. Uh, so I was a master automotive tech for about 10 years, <clears throat> loved it, loved working on cars. I, you know, was kind of in the, um, advanced technology side with electrical troubleshooting and all of that. And I also had a passion for, uh, emerging technology. So, uh, when hybrids first came out, <clears throat> I was taking a lot of those hybrid training classes and, you know, uh, wanted to get my feet wet with all, all the new stuff right away. So <clears throat> then after working in the repair industry for a little while, um, I was with a company called Identifix where we make, uh, it's like diagnostic software for vehicles and was there about three and a half years. And then had the pleasure of, uh, joining Autel and I actually joined Autel on the diagnostic side. So those of you that aren't, aren't familiar with Autel, uh, we've actually been in the automotive diagnostic business for about 20 years. I think 2024 is going to be our 20 year anniversary there. That's so, nice. yeah, so I joined the diagnostic side and helped build some SaaS platforms uh, for technicians to use on our scan tools. As soon as those were built and running, then at that same time, we were establishing our Autel Energy division. And I, I knew that that was going to be the future that this industry is going. And I, uh, I jumped ship over to the Autel Energy side. And, you know, it's been awesome because I've been able to be a part of not only build, you know, bringing all these products to market, um, providing input on all the features, all the, you know, just every, uh, you know, user experience, all of that as well. But then I've also had the pleasure of being able to contribute a lot of our skills from the automotive diagnostic side actually build it into our EV chargers, which I think that's, that's, you know, one of the key differentiators uh, between us and a lot of the others in the space is our software capabilities and also diagnostic capabilities 
and um, you know, really with the end goal of providing the best user experience and also uh, you know, providing uptime numbers that are actually accurate and you know, hopefully better than everybody else in the industry. Very, yeah, very interesting. I, I see, I mean, it's kind of a parallel of your background leading to you bringing value and a certain perspective to your role now because you were really hands-on, right? And technical with it. And now, you know, it might be a little bit more big picture, but you have this background that can really lend to that um, perspective. Would you say that that's the case? Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, we not only do we have our hardware with our chargers, but we also have put a lot of time into um, our maintenance backend. You know, it's the, the software side for uh, doing firmware updates on the chargers and you know, OCPP logs, customization of the user interface, you know, everything all the way down to like uh, different credit card readers on the chargers mm -hmm. and the interoperability there as well. So, there's there's a lot of moving components with uh, developing you know not only the hardware but also also the software functionality. So it's been really fun to be a part of all of it, and you know our, and then we have our operation software you know from setting pricing, configuring user access with RFID cards, you know looking at all of the charging data. Um, so mm -hmm. or through our backend you can view all the charging curves, you know start time, stop time, any faults, any you know, authorization requests, all that as well. So it's um, a very robust platform. And, you know, with that said, it's evolving. So every month we're doing new firmware updates to the chargers, new software updates to our backend. And it's really, you know, from where we started to where we are now, it's, you know, it's amazing what we've accomplished. Very cool. Yeah, there are, I mean, just so many moving parts here where uh, errors can come along in the charging process and uh, from user error to the card readers, to the cables, to the connectors, to the EV, to the EV charger, to the utilities, to the telecommunications. I mean, so many moving pieces. So you have to, I mean, you really, you can try to fit in at one spot, but I think what I'm finding through all my research is that the comprehensive approach is just a no brainer. But again, before, before we dive into the details, which I love. Um, so Autel, uh, did send out of spec the 240 kilowatt DC fast charger, the maxi charger. So that's going up at our office building at the CSU powerhouse. And um, audience, if you haven't seen it, there is like an hour long unboxing video where Kyle, it's it's an atypical unboxing video, I'd say, you know, of a high powered, you know, charger rather than mm, a delivery from somewhere or other. But um, I think that's really cool. And uh, I think also a lot of people are like, is Kyle installing that at his, this at his house? But no, it's the Colorado State University powerhouse. Look it up if you haven't. Really cool um, office space, but also a lot of cool work going in there. But Autel decided to, you know, kind of not really partner with um, Out of Spec on this, but to send us a charger. So um, I'd love for you to speak on why kind of that was important, how this came to be. And Kyle did just say that he had a meeting and there uh, just yesterday with the folks at the office. And so the installation process is, it's rolling along. So there's an update, by the way. Awesome. Good to hear. Yeah. You know, I, th I think that that's a great real world example of deploying an EV charger because, you know, there's, there's getting the hardware on site, which, you know, the shipping logistics involved. But then a lot of times, once the product's on site, then there's other holdups from utility companies, from installation partners, um, and it's you know it's part of the process, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, that's uh, just a good example for all the all the viewers as far as why some deployments take so long. Mm -hmm. but, um, Definitely. 
but yeah, it, you know, it, in talking with Kyle at some previous events, um, you know, he had mentioned uh, about potentially having like a demo charger, you know, and obviously we had sent him some of our residential chargers in the past just to do a review and just for his feedback. And, you know, then he mentioned about the ability to put in a DC fast charger at the CSU powerhouse. And as soon as we heard about that, you know, we want the real world feedback, you know, direct customer feedback. Sounds like Kyle's plan is to eventually open this charger up so that anybody in the area can come by and use it. I'm also going to create a custom feedback page for anybody using that charger to give us your direct feedback. And um, basically we will look at all the input and we're going to bring them back. So anything from, you know, just user experience related stuff. You know, one of the things that we're in works on right now is, you know, if power is being limited for a factor, like let's say you plug in and, you know, yesterday you were on a different brand of charger and you got 130 kilowatts. And then today you plug into the Autel charger and maybe it's only given 110. As the driver, you never know, okay, is it the charger? Is it that my vehicle is not accepting it? You know, from our diagnostics and, and automotive technology background, we can actually display that data as far as why it's being limited. You know, because obviously the, the BMS on the vehicle and the charger are always in communication back and forth, and the charger is only going to ever output what the vehicle will allow it to do. So, mm-hmm. um, so you know, if it's being limited by the vehicle due to, let's say, ambient temperature or battery temperature or where the, the factor is, you know, we're going to be able to display that on the screen just so that um, drivers know, okay, you know, they don't have to guess anymore. It'll be displayed on there. So, you know, things like that, just user experience that the, the EV industry is, you know, th- I, I've compared a lot of times to smartphones when they first came out, where it was early adopters, uh, people that are a little bit tech savvy. And, you know, eventually it had to be foolproof and that anybody can use a smartphone, um, you know, varying age, varying technical ability. And I feel like we're in that space right now with EV charging where, the early adopters are typically a little more tech savvy and they're willing to figure things out the hard way uh, if they have to. But, you know, we want to have this be, you know, as foolproof as possible and have it be so that, you know, if you're a, a brand new driver, an experienced driver, or if you're, you know, elderly, um, it's going to be a simple process to use these chargers because, you know, like it or not, uh, EV charging is, is coming and it's not going away anytime soon. So might as well make the best experience for everybody. That's true. Yeah. Uh, in terms of cutting corners, I think it can be kind of easy in this industry to do it, but it doesn't mean that you're offering the best um, option out there. And yeah, by giving, you know, out of, or yeah, giving out of spec at this charger, you're open to the honest feedback that will come back, which is, <clears throat> excuse me, of course, admirable and necessary, right? We've got a face it head on, which I think is just, I mean, n- not brave, but admirable, right? Like Kyle is very experienced. And so to partner with him, I think obviously you're hoping to get some real honest feedback and some real use, like you say, because of course you do your testing on the back end, but to get this real life experience um, at this station, would, you know, the things that you're talking about, would you, how do y'all do rollouts? Would you ever at this kind of station, like, okay, this is the out of spec station. Let's try something here on this station, specifically like a software update or whatever to see how it works before we roll it out more. Or is that just more we'll do that in the in the testing lab yeah when we do have firmware updates we will oftentimes roll them out to you know specific chargers first 
Um, obviously our own, like we've got our uh, new testing lab in Anaheim, you know, so we'll, you know, we've got charters set up there. We obviously do uh, QA and QC testing ourselves before releasing to the public at all. But then we have some key customers that are, you know, what I would say active or heavy users of the chargers, and they're also very willing to give feedback. And so when we do have a new firmware version, we will appoint it to those chargers first, those, those customers upload it, they do their testing, you know, because obviously, you know, with, with any testing process, if we created the firmware, a lot of times it's easy for us to overlook or oversee things that, you know, for uh, an end user might be an issue. You know, I feel like that happens with uh, every technology. We like to uh, give it, you know, obviously Kyle's charger, uh, as soon as that's set up and operational, I would imagine Kyle will be more than willing to be on that list of the first trial to get any new firmware and give the honest feedback and the out-of-spec customers and viewers, I would imagine are also going to be very willing to do that as well. Yeah, I think that's going to be really fun, like a mini a mini ex experiment with Autel and out of spec. And I know Kyle's eager to get other hardware out there um, to kind of just have it lined up and see how this industry is advancing right next to each other and compare it. So, folks, yeah, stay tuned for, you know, to get it installed, see how that process will go. Of course, it's a small scale, but as Dan was saying, as you were saying, Dan, it's it takes a good bit to get a charger in the ground. That's why a lot of companies have also um, gone for the, you know, solar chargers or the battery chargers where they don't need all that conduit. They don't need to be hooked up to the utility. Like there's a lot of ways to try to circumvent it, but no matter what, it is a big undertaking. So it'll be really cool. Um, and, you know, thanks Autel for, for collaborating with us on this. Um, and speaking of, you know, all of the offerings that you have, obviously there's a lot of testing that comes into play and that's actually, you know, what I'm, where we met was at the Charan Testival. So I'd love to know, um, I mean, this is a huge focus on interoperability, right? But I would love to know why it was important for Autel to be there and specifically what were your goals at this testing festival? If you haven't heard about it, um, maybe you can give our audience some insight into it too and why Autel finds it important. Yeah. Yeah, so Charin, um, it's, it's basically a, it's a nonprofit and it's a, a consortium of um, automotive OEMs, EVC manufacturers, government officials, kind of just all the key players in the industry that, you know, the, the main goal is to solve interoperability and mm -hmm. to make EV charging as seamless um, and as easy as refueling your vehicle at a gas station. You know, and unfortunately, it's not there yet, but we've got a lot of good people working on making this as easy as possible. And plug and charge is going to be the kind of the, the key thing um, in the space. And so, you know, like I said, some OEMs have already launched their protocols and it's functional with some brands of chargers. Some brands of chargers don't yet support it. Um, and some OEMs don't support it yet either. So, uh, you know, I think in a year or two, it's going to be fully rolled out across all OEMs with EVs, and it's really going to solve a lot of the headaches uh, within mm. the industry. You think in a year or two? Well, maybe I'm a little optimistic there, but um, there's, you know, like at the event, um, yeah. we were testing the 1511.8-2 and dash three protocols, and we passed passed all the all the tests. Um, let's see, we met the target battery voltage for all the vehicles very quickly. Um, there's kind of a whole list of different mm -hmm. uh, tests that you do between the charger and the vehicle. And during the event, there's uh, kind of test PKIs that are uploaded not only on the vehicle side, but on the charger side. So a lot of times there's, you know, you got a, um, 
couple of different firmware, and this is just for the testing at the event. This isn't um, what happens in the real world industry, but we're testing different things at this event. So mm-hmm. um, there's one thing we ran into with Snake on uh, the first day, and then by the second day we had that resolved on those um, you know test firmwares, and by the end of it, um, everything we were able to t- pass every test um, with the OEMs that we were testing with. So mm. um, it was a very successful event. This is our third Charon event that we've been to, and nice. um, yeah, it's you know it really does do good things for the industry just by bringing all the key players in the space, um, and you know happens twice a year. So uh, very very productive. Yeah, I would say so that um, I think when for most of the people I was talking to, they were like, yeah, we, the best part about this is figuring out where the bugs are and then having kind of everyone there, the team there, but also other people in the space to work with to kind of figure out, OK, a bug comes up here. Let's fix it. So were there any big um, key takeaways that you took uh, for the, from this Charn event? Um, I would say maybe the biggest um, the biggest setback is that there's different brands of PKIs, you know, Hubject is kind of the w- most well-known one, but now there's, um, you know, like the Charn had issued the, the Keysight PKIs, um, mm-hmm. so there's some compatibility issues there, but um, either way, you know, that's where, that that's the reason for that event is where, you know, all the engineers are then uh, testing together um, to troubleshoot and resolve any of this stuff, and um, yeah, I'd say it was quite successful overall. So in terms of the industry so far, what's your opinion on how it has progressed? Do you think we're on track? I mean, you think that ISO 1511A, we might, you know, have it widespread in a a year or two. But in general, what is your impression of how things are coming along? Um, I, you know, that's a tough one. Uh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Obviously, I wish it was ready to go and launch today. Um, But, uh, you know, there's just a lot of um a lot of moving components um and it keeps advancing too so you know like a year ago um the kind of the test cases and stuff like that at the events um were not nearly as advanced as they are today so um it's a revolving topic i would say and um yeah i I think what it's going to take though is that you know the automotive OEMs. Um, you know, understandably from their side, they don't want to release it until they until it's fully vetted on their end. Um, but once that does happen, you know, I think most charger manufacturers are ready for it uh, now. Um, us being one of them. So um, as soon as it's available on the OEM side, it's basically we just have to push a firmware version to the chargers that includes that protocol for that brand of vehicle or that model, and um, as soon as that is pushed through, then plug-in charger is going to be um, enabled and working on those vehicles. Do you think that'll have a huge, well, how big of an impact do you think that will have on the industry and not just, you know, the customer experience, but like the future of EV charging? I think it's going to reduce or eliminate a lot of the negative experiences from new EV drivers. Um, Because, you know, I... I don't blame a lot of EV drivers in that, you know, there are some people that are switching back to ICE after owning an EV for three months, six months, something like that. It's, you know, it's not as seamless of an experience as refueling a gas car. Um, You know, it's unfortunate that that has to be the case, but, um, you know, it is where we are today. And I think we've got a lot of the right people 
in the industry working on solving these headaches and the Charnid event uh, being one of them. So, um, you know, I, I do think that it's going to be pretty quick that plug and charge is enabled on um, a lot of OEMs, um, hoping within the next year or two that it'll be good to go there. Um, and, you know, at the event, there were some people already testing the ISO 15018-20 protocol, which is for bidirectional charging. Um, V2X is a, or V2L, V2G, whatever you want to call it. Um, it's obviously been a big topic in the industry. Um, you know, I don't think the industry and the grid and everything is quite ready for it yet. But that's another thing that a lot of key players in the space are working on it. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we've got a bidirectional product coming out next year, um, possibly two different models coming out next year. And, you know, that rollout is also a little bit waiting on the OEMs releasing their uh, bidirectional protocols for public use. Um, so as soon as that starts rolling out as well, um, you know, it's, it's really going to um, solve a lot of issues. It's going to help the grid and it's going to give that peace of mind for new EV drivers or people that are just interested once they know that, okay, it's not a pain to drive an EV anymore. Um, And especially once we have better coverage with public charging um, as uh, the NEBI program, all that stuff rolls out, um, you know, it's it's really gonna help the industry. Yeah, not just more charging, but better charging experience, because like you said, yeah, just one, it shouldn't be so unreliable. (laughs) And uh, so, yeah, thanks for your opinion on that. I would love to know a bit more about your product line. So uh, you start, I mean, Autel has like at home AC charging as well, and then also solutions all the way to the DC uh, power charging that we are are discussing now. So I know that you have a slide deck and you can walk through it for um, our audience because I think you have a lot of diverse offerings that aren't just, you know, not everyone can get the uh, DC fast charger (laughs) at their office, but um, there's some other options. Yeah. So I'll pull that up. Um, Absolutely. Great. Yeah. So this is our, oh, sorry. Let me go back. Uh, So this is our full lineup. Um, And I, I just want to cover real quick as far as, you know, kind of our North American operations as well. So um, our North American headquarters is in Port Washington, New York. Um, That was actually, uh, we had just moved into that building uh, as we were establishing the Autel Energy Division. And so it was primarily designed for our diagnostics um, side of the, the company. And so we very quickly outgrew that building as soon as we were introducing all of our uh, EVSE into that same location. So um, we realized very quickly that as we scale, uh, we need some more uh, some more real estate as well. So we have our innovation center in Anaheim, California, uh, just uh, did our uh, grand opening on that a few months ago. Mm. And yeah, so it's a beautiful building. And it's uh, it's only about five minutes away from Disneyland, so um, you know, Magic. If you ever come out, you can stay by there as well. Yeah, we should get a tour of that one Absolutely. day. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and yeah, so this building uh, it will serve as you know warehousing for uh, some inventory, uh, just as a location on the West Coast. Uh, but the primary use for it is uh, interoperability testing. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're working with the R&D departments from, you know, automotive OEMs, CPOs, all kinds of customers. And inside this building, we have uh, quite a bit of power available. And so we have, you know, one of every product 
um, hooked up and operational in there. And so we're doing OCPP testing with third-party software vendors, um, UI testing with custom UI uploads. Um, as I'll cover on our products, we've got the screens on there, so we do custom advertising and all that. Um, and then, yeah, new firmware versions um, and also just kind of acting as a product showcase um, for anybody interested that's on the West Coast that wants to come take a look. So, um, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, that one just opened up a few months ago. And then uh, kind of the, the biggest news is our U.S. manufacturing site in Greensboro, North Carolina. Mm. So this was uh, in the works. Uh, here's a rendering of, um, you know, we, we it's already set up an operational inside. Uh, we're building out the outside uh, kind of appearance, and it's going to act as a demo showcase with chargers in the parking lot. So the public in the area can swing by and use our chargers. Um, and it's very large, 200,000 square feet. And we've used, wow. yeah, we, we've moved all uh, inventory for the U.S. to that location now. And um, all of our Nevi and Baba compliant products mm -hmm. will be produced out of this uh, initially. Um, so we're obviously going uh, our DC fast and then our DC high power chargers uh, will be produced out of there first. And then uh, we will be making U.S. made versions of our DC Compact and all of our AC products as well. Very cool. Yeah. All over. Absolutely. Yeah, and to, to jump into the products, uh, so our, this was our very first charger in the market. So it was our residential um, AC Elite, and we have it in two variants. We've got the in-body holster and the external holster. Um, in-body holster is a little more popular, but the external holster where, you know, the, the one area where it's really nice is, let's say you have a residential garage, and when you pull the car in, if it's if you have to walk in front of the vehicle mm -hmm. to get into your door, um, if you have the in-body holster and it's mounted right there, it does protrude from the wall about 11 inches total. Mm -hmm. And so the external holster model is really nice because... Um, you can just mount the charger there and then put the holster near where the charge port is on the vehicle and it does swivel down. Um, so it keeps it out of the way so that you don't bump into it as you're walking by the vehicle. Cool. Yeah. And uh, we have a couple different power output options as well. Right. Um, we've got 40 amp with the mm -hmm. 650 plug or NEMA 1450 plug. And then we've got the 50 amp version, which needs to be hardwired for electrical code. Okay. So, yeah. So Pretty decent power for at-home charging. Absolutely. And we will have an 80-amp version of our residential um, coming out. Uh, I think it's uh, scheduled for Q2 of 2024. Okay, interesting. Can you tell me a little bit about that choice to go um, higher to the 80 amps from this original offering? Absolutely. Um, you know, acceptance rate on vehicles just continues to increase. Uh, battery pack size continues going up. Obviously, there's, you know, select few models, the uh, F-150 Lightning with the large battery pack. There's the uh, Lucid Air um, and a couple others that are able to accept that 19.2 kilowatts or mm -hmm. 80 amps. And, um, you know, we see the industry moving that way. And oh, the Cadillac Lyric as well, that's another one. So um, we wanted to offer something in that space. And we do have a current solution, uh, which I'll cover um, in a couple of slides here. But... From the residential standpoint, we wanted to have a single port 80 amp that's you know really built for residential use. So um, it's it's going to be kind of a version two of this product. 
So it's going to have uh, quite a few new features, ISO 15118, all of that. Um, and it's, uh, it's a really good looking product as well. Nice. Okay. Absolutely. So, yeah, um, our residential, uh, we've, it, it's been selling quite well, very, very competitive on price point. And, you know, really the hardware has been bulletproof on these. Um, you know, we, we had an initial issue with the cables. Um, it wasn't really an issue, but it was just that in cold climates, the, the cable was too stiff uh, in the wintertime. And so, you know, mm -hmm. we're very welcome to feedback. Um, we received that feedback, and so we got on it right away, and we revised the cable, and um, it's it's much more pliable in the cold weather, and um, it's actually, um, I believe that on some of the user ratings, um, it's number one or two on the list as far as cable availability in cold weather, so... Mm -hmm. um, Nice. I mean, that's one part to think about cold weather. We often think about like the, you know, the charger itself working, but uh, driving up to Cleveland when it started getting cold, those, I mean, we're talking about the different kind of cables, but it really does change the experience if you just can't even bend it to get it plugged into your EV. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm in Minnesota, so, you know, I've been doing testing as well. And mm -hmm. yeah, so I'll put my my home charger, I'll put that outside in the cold winter months, which are, yeah. Out, so. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If you're in your cold garage. So when you talk about um, improving this kind of aspect of the, of the charger with the cables, was it seeking a new manu, excuse me, seeking a new manufacturer or um, just like altering what, what exactly did you do to kind of help with that solution? Uh, yeah, it was a new manufacturer. So, um, so yeah, we had had, you know, a couple on the list um, and, you know, the initial testing with the uh, original cable, um, all of the reliability, durability, um, and everything with the initial cable was was perfect. Um, but then, yeah, just that cold weather testing wasn't wasn't quite ideal. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, we're obviously very selective um, when it comes to cable suppliers. So, um, yeah, we selected a new supplier uh, relatively quickly after going through some, some testing and uh, received a lot of good feedback for it. Nice. Cool. Absolutely. So we've got some residential and then more residential options as well. Uh, well, this is our primary residential offering, okay. um, the, you know, 40 amp and 50 amp variants, um, two different, uh, you know, in-body and external holster. Um, mm -hmm. And then our next product, uh, this was our first commercial product into the market, um, yes. 50 amps total output. And, you know, you'll see it looks similar to our residential product, mm -hmm. uh, but it adds the five inch touchscreen, which enables revenue collection, mm -hmm. um, you know, a driver would come up, there's, you know, the screen is customizable. So you can have, you know, think of it as a screensaver on your computer. So as the owner of this charger, you can put your own logo, uh, you can use it as messaging to drivers, advertising of your own brand. Um, and then as somebody comes up and touches the screen, then there's a QR code displayed, and they will scan that QR code using the Autel Charge phone app. Mm. And um, you know, to see the rates for the charger. Um, you know, Autel does not control the rates at all. It's up to the station owner or operator um, to set those rates as far as connection fees, energy-based fees, um, or idle fees. Um, and so, yeah. Um, and then this one also adds 4G connectivity because obviously uh, commercial chargers are oftentimes out in parking lots and there's no mm -hmm. Wi-Fi available and sometimes Ethernet is an afterthought. Um, so 4G is, uh, you know, obviously 
most commercial chargers, um, mm-hmm. I would say about 50% of them out there are operating on 4G connectivity. So cool. uh, we have those options and um, yeah, a lot of really good feedback from this one in the market as well. And, um, you know, very reliable and durable. And the price point is very competitive on these as well. Interesting. So do you have a number on that that you can tell us now? Uh, MSRP on these is 989. Okay. And it has the same 50 amp, 12 kilowatt charging power, um, as the, as the residential one, right? So, um, is it... So is, is mostly what's different, is it kind of the same, but you add on the screen, you might change the design a little bit so that it's, you know, not in a garage, but it's rather out in a parking lot. But otherwise, is, is it mostly the same? Yeah, the hardware is very similar internally, um, but this this commercial one also opens up the ability for OCPP control. Mm. Uh, so you can control this, um, you know, using any third-party OCPP software. Um, obviously, Autel has its own software platform available as well. And... Um, and yeah, a lot, of, a lot of flexibility with this one. Very cool. Yeah, um, of course, when you talk about that 4G, telecommunications has been, you know, a part of the reliability reliability discussion as well. But like you said, sometimes you don't have Wi-Fi, you don't have the Ethernet. So that's what you have to rely on if you're going to take payment. So does Autel have any initiatives to make sure that that reliability is, I mean, sometimes it's out of your hands, but mitigated as much as you can on your side of things? Absolutely. Yeah, we've done a lot of testing with different, um, you know, SIM card providers. Um, we use a very good quality 4G module, which within the chargers. Um, and then, yeah, test um, each SIM provider with um, with our module to make sure that it provides the best connectivity as possible. Um, with that said, um, you know, our, our current SIM card supplier um, is is great connectivity. Prices are a little bit high, um, and we obviously want to get pricing down. And so there's a new supplier that we're going to be rolling out with, um, and it's it's a really good solution because it's carrier agnostic, and so you can actually load all three U.S. carrier native profiles on the same SIM card. Mm-hmm. So think of it as that you know if if it's let's say maybe Verizon is the best signal in this area. And then Verizon has some network congestion or, you know, the tower goes down, they have outage of some form. Um, Once we develop and integrate with this new SIM card provider um, through their API, we can actually have it dynamically switch between Mm. carriers as soon as one carrier drops out. So um, it would switch right over to AT&T and, you know, there's the APN settings as far as, you know, where that is going to point to as far as the server. And so it requires a lot of integration because then we need to make sure that the APN gets changed for the new carrier as soon as the SIM card changes carriers. So um, we're working on that. We'll be rolling that out um, sometime very soon. And, you know, the goal there is to really just increase the uptime of the charters because, you know, right now, if one network does go down, it has to be manually switched, which we can certainly do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just takes a little more time, and we're we're all about uh, you know providing the best experience and minimizing downtime as much as possible. Cool. Yeah, sounds like uh, pretty essential because <laughs> if it's out of your hands, what's the best that you can do on your exactly. side of things? And it's like find out whatever else is working and go to that, so no one's stranded. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, So next product, uh, this is our AC Ultra. And this one is, uh, it's been really doing really, really well. 
So okay. 19.2 kilowatts out of both out of each port simultaneously with this mm. one, which is um, you know kind of unheard of in the industry. So uh, you know the standard input for it is two separate 80 amp circuits, um, each on their own 100 amp breaker, and that'll provide the full output. Um, mm -hmm. Now we also took into consideration that. A lot of times there might be uh, panel limitations to where, you know, there just isn't room to put um, two separate 240 circuits on 100 amp breakers. Um, mm -hmm. And so we've got some solutions there. Um, you can run a single 240 input to the charger on a single 100 amp breaker, supplying 80 amps total to the charger. So then if one vehicle plugs in, it'll receive the full 80 amps. If a second vehicle plugs in, then it would split 40 and 40 between the two ports. So okay. Um, we also have internal dip switches on all of our AC chargers. So um, there's nine different settings. So if you have, you know, let's say there was previous wiring ran and maybe you're ripping out, um, you know, a, a charger that's 32 amps and you're putting this in its place, but maybe you don't want to rip up the, uh, the, the, the concrete and, um, you know, run larger gauge wiring, that type of thing. So you can actually... Um, dial the dip switch down to 32 amps if needed. Um, that way you can still use the charger. It's just not going to be putting out its full capability at that point, uh, but it will be reflected on screen as far as um, what the current output is for the charger at this time. Great. So not the, the max abilities, but what it's actually able to do. Exactly. Yep. Again, that important communication on the customer user inside of things, because I think it can come along sometimes when, yeah, you, you are told that you're going to be able to receive a certain kilowatts and you don't. And there's yeah. a bit of confusion there. Yeah. Well, and you know, the acceptance rate, the, the average in the industry is still in that like 11, 12 kilowatts range, mm -hmm. um, acceptance rate through AC charging. And so, mm -hmm. You know, that's just another part of the driver education that we're going to be focusing on a lot is that you know, a lot of people see, okay, the charger is a 19.2 kilowatt charger, but I plugged my vehicle in and I'm only getting 11 kilowatts. There must be something wrong with the charger. Right. Um, there's that education aspect where, no, it's actually that the onboard charger on your model vehicle can only accept 11 kilowatts. Hmm. Um, and, you know, the charger always has to listen to the vehicle, um, you know, for safety reasons. So if the vehicle says it can only take 11 kilowatts and it's only capable of that, then that's all the charger can put out. So, mm -hmm. um, so there's just that education aspect that, you know, on screen during the session, we've got, you know, a help feature and we're going to be building more content into there. Um, and, you know, even custom things as far as, um, you know, like with this, it's uh, ISO 1511 compatible. So, mm -hmm. When you're plugged in, the charger knows what kind of vehicle it is that it's charging. Mm -hmm. And so we can actually curate that content on screen as far as your vehicle. Um, you know, here's the specs for your vehicle. Here's what it's telling the charger that it can accept right now. Um, and it's really just going to help solve a lot of those mysteries by new drivers. You know, they plug in and they're like, okay, it's a totally different experience depending mm -hmm. on what brand of charger I go to and, you know, sometimes right. the identical charger in two different locations, they get a totally different experience too. That's um, true. And we just want to help provide the information as far as why that experience is a little bit different at each location. Right. Because you kind of just get this one opportunity, this one touch point with customers charging at your stations. You know, it's not necessarily that they're um, 
you know, they're pulling up and they're interacting with an Autel charger. So do y'all see that it was really the, the biggest chance to educate um, customers? Because they're not necessarily your customer. They might be at, uh, you know, a, a shopping mall or wherever it is that these chargers are. So, it's, it, yeah, is that the number one spot where you're looking to push forward this information sharing? Uh, well, no, I mean, we've got um, a lot of plans in store, so we'll have online content available. Um, we will have app-related uh, content, so within our app, if you start a session, you can view that content in the app or obviously on the screen of the charger, too. So we're more than open to input from uh, out-of-spec viewers on additional um, just driver education-related content mm -hmm. that you can add in there. Um, because, yeah, I mean, we've kind of got some an internal think tank, I'll say, um, as far as that. But, you know, we're also users of our chargers. So sometimes it's a little bit biased information um, or, you know, feedback that we're providing to ourselves. So we're always open to real world feedback um, from first time users or experienced users as well. Cool. Um, if I pulled up and I wanted to charge here, would I have to have the Autel app or could I tap to pay? Uh, you can tap to pay. Um, so we have the optional credit card reader. So mm -hmm. not every one of these is equipped with it. Um, mm -hmm. you know, as you probably know, there's certain rebate and incentive programs in different areas that mm -hmm. require credit card readers. And some CPOs want the credit card readers just uh, so that people don't have to download the app. So um, our credit card reader option that we have currently um, is you know, uh, tap to pay compatible. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, the chargers themselves are RFID compatible as well. So mm -hmm. um, if it's a OCPP customer, for example, they might have their own RFID cards. We have our own as well. And you can just program those for use at the chargers. Um, and that way you don't have to scan the QR code or do anything. You just tap the RFID card and it's going to start that session. Nice. And probably most ideally of an experience is that I am using plug and charge. Well, actually with, with plug and charge, ISO 1500, 1511.8, um, that actually bypasses the need for apps, credit card readers, anything like that. So that's, you know, the charging event that we were at, uh, where mm -hmm. we went up, that is really what that's trying to solve. Um, and that, as soon as that is fully rolled out, that's going to do so much for the industry and so much for the uh, driver experience. And, and those, those viewers that aren't familiar with it, it's going to be that the charger reads the MAC ID on the vehicle. Um, every vehicle has a different MAC ID. And then there's an external platform. Um, you know, the biggest well-known one is called Hubject. And basically, you would set up, you know, as a driver, you're going to set up your account with your payment information. And so basically, it communicates with Hubject. Hubject is going to authorize a session. And therefore, it's going to be seamless. So you just pull up to a charger, you plug in, and you know if you already know what the rates are for that charger on the screen, then you don't have to approve anything or anything like that. It's just going to start that charging session, and then it would bill um, from your card that's linked to uh, your account. So that is um, going to do a lot for the industry. A lot of the OEMs are still finalizing their protocols on it. So mm -hmm. if you have it, uh, a lot don't. Um, and a lot of chargers don't support it either, um, you know, especially legacy chargers that have been, you know, maybe deployed already for three three years, five years, anything like that. Um, plug and charge didn't, didn't exist back then. So um, it's, it's really going to 
be huge for the user experience. It really is. Just pull up, plug in, and you're charging. Yeah, and uh, so yeah, just to wrap up on, on this one, so we have a lot of configuration options. Mm -hmm. uh, as you see this one here, this would be uh, floor mounted with the steel pedestal with cable management. Uh, we've got a couple different cable length options, 18 foot and 25 foot. Um, and the cable management is a nice weighted uh, cable and pulley style. So, you know, cables aren't breaking. Um, you know, it, it's a very robust design, um, unlike a lot of other uh, string-based cable managements that are out there. Mm -hmm. um, and then as you see here in the, in the middle, um, that would be like a wall-mounted cable management uh, with the charger body mounted there. Then we've got some other options that are a little less popular, but if you want to be uh, do it without cable management for cost savings, space savings, that type mm. of thing, and um, we've see. got some other solutions as well. Um, and next up, so this is our DC Compact, and this one we knew it was going to be popular. We just didn't understand exactly how popular it was going to be because it's, <laughs> it's really serving a sweet spot in, in the industry. Nice. Tell me about that. So 40 kilowatts total output. Um, it'll do 40 kilowatts to one vehicle or 20 kilowatts uh, to each port simultaneously. Mm -hmm. And this is really popular with, um, I mean, just think of anywhere that people are going to be on site for about three hours or less. Um, that, that's where this is ideal. So restaurants, shopping malls, um, it, it takes off a very small footprint as well. So, you know, you can put it at the curb level you know, on the sidewalk in front of a restaurant. Uh, it's got 21 and a half inch screen for advertising, um, showing the, you know, the, the daily special at the restaurant, anything like that. Nice. Um, and, you know, the acceptance rate on AC is obviously it's about an average of 11 or 12 kilowatts still. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, if you had those, people are certainly going to get a, a charge with that. But this enables, you know, obviously DC, there isn't a limitation um, other than on the BMS for high-speed charging. But every vehicle that can take DC charging can accept 20 or 40 kilowatts. So it's really going to help top off that range or fully charge vehicle. Um, you know, if they arrive at, let's say, 25% state of charge, and if they're the only, only one plugged in, they're getting 40 kilowatts. So, you know, the average battery pack size is in that, you know, 80, 90 kilowatt range. So two hours they're fully charged and they're going to be very happy and really the cost on this is really really competitive because there's some other like 25 kilowatt 30 kilowatt like wall mounted dc uh products out there in the market um this one can be wall mounted as well um if needed um we've got the pedestal version we also have like a trolley mounted version on wheels uh for within like uh, fleet warehouses sure but but uh, our price point on this, you know, you're getting 40 kilowatts with the advertising screen, all of that for about the same MSRP price as the single port 25 kilowatt wall mounted units. So this is really taking the industry by storm on that and really popular with school bus fleets. A lot of school districts rolling these out too. So it's been a really, really popular product. And um, yeah, it's going, going quite well. Yeah, I can see why that would be popular. And considering that, um, I mean, this is NEVI compliant? Uh, so this this product right now is not. Um, okay. Our first NEVI BABA compliant products are going to be for the you know NEVI plan. So 160 per port and higher uh, capable mm -hmm. chargers. So I'll cover uh, that here shortly. So we've got some solutions there. 
Um, this one is going to be, we're going to have a, a US made version of this available. It's just the first two products out of our North Carolina facility will be higher powered than this. Gotcha. I was just thinking because of the EV school buses, I'm sure that would be um, with NEVI funding. I know that that's not only, of course, the school buses, but how you're charging them when they're sitting um, is definitely a lot of potential there to take advantage of federal incentives. So just a little curious on that. So yeah. All right. This is a cool one. Here's our flagship DC Fest. Okay. Um, so this is uh, what is at the CSU Powerhouse. Obviously, once we get that up and running, I'm going to come out. We're going to do a full video uh, on site of the activation, commissioning process, all of that, and mm -hmm. full, uh, full rundown on uh, two viewers on that charger. But yeah, the 60 kilowatts all the way up to 240 kilowatts. We use 20 kilowatt power modules which I'll show you in this one here. So as you can see, the power modules come in from the side mm -hmm. and very clean design internally. Um, what we like to say is that we we relate to the game in the DC space and, and we kind of did that to learn what not to do. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> I could see that. <laughs> DC charger reliability is obviously a very big pain point in the industry. And you know, this obviously we put a lot of R&D into all of our products, but for this one especially, we wanted to make it so that, you know, obviously if any component does fail, it can be replaced in 10 minutes or less. Mm. So that, you know, the power modules, there's literally two screws. You slide it out, slide the new one in. They're about 25, 30 pounds. So um, anybody can swap those out. Uh, the cables, if one ever does get damaged or vandalized, anything like that, it takes exactly 10 minutes uh, to swap a cable out. And all of the contactors, relays, everything internally, uh, the only exception is the screen. It takes a little longer to replace the screen if it ever gets uh, damaged or anything like that. But we haven't had any actual screen failures yet. So, but yeah, 20 kilowatt power modules. We chose that many reasons, but uh, the biggest one being that, okay, if a power module ever does fail, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of other products out there, if a, product, if a power module fails, the whole charger's down. Right. Um, with ours, if let's say you have 180 kilowatts in your charger and one fails, it's only derated by 20 kilowatts. Yeah. One power module cannot bring down the charger. Um, and through our diagnostic software and everything, um, you can actually, if you're the operator of the charger, you can configure somebody to get either live text messages, live emails, as soon as there's um, a critical fault to the charger. And we have three different fault criteria. You can actually send live alerts for all three, but you know, if the emergency, Emergency alerts means there's something that needs to be addressed. Mm -hmm. And that way, you'll know right away as the operator of this charger that, okay, uh, it's setting this fault code. I can see that it's, you know, now derated, you know, 20 kilowatts less. And, you know, from our remote backend, we'll help diagnose it as, you know, okay, is there, do we just need to reset something? Is there maybe, you know, a new firmware version, something like, like that that we need to push to it? Or does it actually need a, a, a component to replace? And we can, we can actually remotely diagnose 95% of the components within the charger without needing to send somebody on site. Mm. So that's, you know, obviously uptime is the big goal there. Right. But also just O&M costs for CPOs is, you know, just really, really excessive because, you know, think of the scenario where if you don't have remote diagnostic capabilities, you know, obviously, you'll maybe have to rely on a negative plug share review to even determine that your charger isn't working. <laughs> um, and then you would have to roll a truck, you know, if it's down the street from you, it's not a big deal. But 
Other times it might be four hours away, something like that. So you have to roll a truck once, send somebody on site to then diagnose it. Then they drive back. Then you got to order parts, wait for the parts to come in, and then you roll a truck a second time to actually do the repair. With our remote diagnostics, you know, we can identify what component needs to be replaced if there is a component. And, you know, for some of our CPOs already stocking replacement parts. Um, otherwise, we've got inventory in the U.S. We can always overnight ship. And then that way, you only need to roll a truck one time to go on site, replace that part. And, um, yeah, it's really reducing the O&M costs for all of our customers. Right. That's a huge concern, of course, like not only from if you're, you know, owning or operating one of these, but also the end user, because uh, if, if a site's out of commission and no one knows why and no one knows when it's going to be fixed, my experience is definitely negatively affected. So one, just having the module set up this way, it's mitigating most, you know, issues that happen, like it's derated, it's not totally out. And then also the fix, you put in a new module. Um, so on the back end, that diagnosis, that diagnostics is super important. And um, I'm sure it requires a lot of, you know, not just throwing an error code, but knowing what is actually happening. So you're able to see what's happening in the charger, you can tell the operator and dispatch someone if needed. So it seems like the you know, immediately if something's wrong, or, or tell me, immediately if something's wrong with this kind of station, are you made aware, I'm made aware, like like that, and then um, it, does that happen right away, or does it take some sort of, like, start? Yeah, no, it's, it, it's live. Um, the only exception is, like, if it loses internet connectivity, then obviously it's not connected to our cloud. So sure, sure, sure. that's the one variable that we can't control. Um, okay. So, you know, we always try and create redundancy with um, connections. So, you know, we always tell users, okay, if you have the ability to put Wi-Fi at the site or, you know, if they're on the site build-out phase where they're specking everything in, we always put in Ethernet, uh, for example. Um, but in the scenario where maybe there's only uh, 4G as an option, um, then, yeah, if it does lose Internet connectivity, that's the only exception to the rule to where, then we've got to get the connectivity back up before we can diagnose why it lost connection. But mm -hmm. um, even with our current SIM provider, we can do remote resets of the SIM cards, um, which oftentimes, if it's an issue on the SIM carrier side, um, doing that reset will then bring the charger back online. Okay. And for that diagnostics on the back end, is it, um, you know, someone, some actual person has to look at what's going on to diagnose it? Or is it more of, um, you know, the program that's doing that so that, we can figure out what's wrong. Basically, I'm trying to get to like, how quickly does it happen? Something goes wrong, you get the error codes, someone um, figures out what's wrong, lets me know, finds out the solution. Yeah, I mean, we, so right now it's the CPO or the owner of the site that's gonna get those live notifications. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the reason we did that is that a lot of times, like maybe they're working on the site and they just shut off power to the chargers. Um, you know, we don't want to overload our team with needing to respond to all those when it was actually um, something that happened on purpose because there's maintenance being done, something like that. So the operator will get those live notifications. And then that way, if there is something that they need our assistance on, if it's something that wasn't caused by the site or power outage, something like that, um, then they'll reach out to us, more or less create a ticket, and then we will um, jump in. We'll look at all the logs, all the data, um, and uh, you know, get to diagnosing it. So um, it's always very quick turnaround time. You know, 24 hours or less for sure. But uh, 
especially if it's you know normal daytime hours, it's going to be you know uh, within an hour or two, we're we're already on top of it. And um, if it's something we can remedy remotely, um, then it's back up and running very quickly. And you know nobody actually needed to go on site in those scenarios. Okay, cool. And um, something that I mean, we'll look at the other high power option you have. But is this the only piece of the hardware, or is there a cabinet as well? This is the dispenser, uh, right? Yeah, so this is our all-in-one design. So um, everything is contained here. Um, and yeah, it's, uh, you know, air-cooled modules um, and that, you know, with the max output of 240 kilowatts, we do have two different cable version options. So if you're building it, let's say 60 to 120 kilowatts, you can go with our smaller 200 amp cables. Mm -hmm. As you get 140 to 240 kilowatts, then uh, needs to be equipped with our CCS boost cables, mm. which are 400 amp peak and 300 amp continuous output. So, um, you have selected suppliers for those. Um, can you say who supplies your cables? Rima. Uh, Rima is our current Rima. supplier. So, uh, gotcha. we've, been, we've been very happy. Um, and, you know, uh, air cool cables, you know, it's, it's great for up to 240 for sure. Mm -hmm. And, you know, liquid cooling is as great as it is for braking rates and charging rates and all of that. Um, it really adds a lot to the hardware cost. And mm -hmm. it would really cause the cost of this of this charger to be kind of priced out of the market. And so uh, for this version, we, you know, we're sticking with air-cooled everything on these. We've got five polar fans on the left-hand side door, the one door you can't see. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's constantly pulling air. There's a filter on each side door, um, and it's constantly pulling air through there. Um, and then the screens, we have cooling built into the screens for when in hot climates, and we have heating built into the screens for in cold climates. Hmm. Um, and then, you know, the screen durability, that's, you know, a lot of people ask about that. It's a large screen, and they're worried about, um, you know, rocks getting kicked up from vehicles, anything like that. But... Right. Um, we, you know, we've been making, well, you can actually see one behind me on the shelf, um, diagnostic repair tablets that survive the elements of repair shops. Nice. So imagine, you know, an iPad or something in a repair shop is getting uh, dropped and kicked and fluids spilled on it and all of that. Mm -hmm. So we really perfected the durability of our screens and, you know, all of this stuff is made in house. And so we took that same experience from our tablets and we built into the screens on these. So. Um, IK10 rated, so you can drop a bowling ball on the screen. It's not going to break. Um, and, uh, yeah, um, we really haven't had any issues with our screens or power modules yet. Um, nice. And, yeah, uh, doing quite well. Well, fingers crossed there that that stays true. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, and last but not least, um, this is our DC high power. Mm -hmm. So... We've also, this one has been, um, you know, in development for a while um, because we wanted to do it right. And we've got a couple of, so it's going to be using 40 kilowatt power modules. We'll have air-cooled and liquid-cooled power modules as an option. And uh, 320, 480, or 640 kilowatt. Uh, wow. So um, this one is, you know, ideal for fleet charging. Mm -hmm. um, interstate heavy use charging, um, obviously NEBI related programs, um, because it's, you know, gotta be 600 kilowatt, uh, per site or mm -hmm. 150 per 
port. And so our 640 version of this, um, you know, obviously is going to supply that. Um, we also have some people bidding out um, two sets of our 320 kilowatts um, with the dual dispensers mm-hmm. uh, for each 320 kilowatt cabinet. And that way it allows for the future expandability because um, that's also one of the requirements for Nevi is, uh, you know, uh, upgradable in the future. So, um, and yeah, it's very quick and easy to add to, you know, our DC fast or this, if you do want to increase the output, let's say, you know, on our DC fast, for example, if you build it initially at 140 kilowatts, and then at a later time, you want to, you know, maybe there was a transformer limitation from the utility company. So you had to do 140 to begin with. And then due to transformer back, uh, shortages, maybe it's a year out on upgrading that. And then mm. they finally do upgrade it. And now you want to go to the full 240. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have to replace the charger at that point. It's just a matter of there's an upgrade kit with yeah. how many power modules you need. You know, you got to relabel the charger as far as, um, the sticker on the side for output, and then there's uh, you know some different firmware we got to upload to it, but it's very quick and easy to upgrade these out in the field. Very cool. Yeah, I mean retrofitting has definitely been something that has to happen in the industry because of you know the early players in the in the game that we're putting in, you know, slow chargers, old old equipment that is now a little bit outdated. And so, if I think personally, if you're not future proofing like crazy, you I mean, you must be living under a rock because this stuff changes so much. Um, I mean, in terms of regulation, you're seeing it right there. You have to be able to upgrade, not retrofit, but upgrade and improve on what's already there. So not put in something that's going to become obsolete in, you know, a short time. So that's a pretty cool, easy, uh, or, you know, easy, quote unquote, upgrade system there. Um, And yeah, okay. So these, these really go to that high power charging 640 kilowatts. That's pretty crazy. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, that would be, you need our liquid cool cables, um, Mm -hmm. for that. Um, but yeah, our air cool cables as well. Um, you could do four of those, uh, you know, two per dispenser. Um, and you'd still be able to get, you know, 400 amp peak, 300 amp continuous. Uh, out of each cable, which um, is still quite fast charging rates um, for for most vehicles on the on the road today. So, a lot of options with that um, cable management and everything. Um, it's not even optional on this; it's just built into each dispenser. And these are really really uh, made for the heavy duty fleet um, and even um, just passenger vehicle charging, uh, but uh, you know heavy use cases. Very cool. Okay, awesome. I mean, it seems like you have an offering from for kind of every kind of charging that is needed besides the megawatt charging. Uh, so yeah, so next up, I just want to give a brief overview of um, kind of our, our three different platforms. So we have our Autel Charge app, which is um, if you purchase a residential charger, you are going to uh, use our Charge app to pair the charger via Bluetooth. And that's where you'll set everything up. Um, and if there is a Wi-Fi connection um, that you want to connect the charger to, then you would do that uh, while connected via Bluetooth. Um, and you can input like the, your utility rate cost and all of that, so you can track how much it's costing you to uh, actually charge your vehicle at home. We also have user access. Um, you can grant access to friends or family. You can set up RFID cards for like if it's an Airbnb, something like that. 
Mm. If you want to just uh, put an RFID card on a lanyard inside the property and enable that for tenants to, to use the charger. Um, got a lot of options there. And then it's actually the exact same phone app that you'll use if you're a public EV driver and you come up to your first Autel charger. You will just pair your credit card to the phone app and then you scan the QR code on the charger and that's how you authorize the sessions through there. Yeah, and then on our cloud software, we kind of have two different platforms. So operation platform, this is, you know, if you're the operator of the charger, you configure the per kilowatt pricing, idle fees, connection fees, you can view all the previous charging sessions, um, any faults or warnings that are setting. You know, it's a really robust platform. Typically a full demo on that takes about an hour, so I know we probably don't have time to get to, into that today. <laughs> but uh, our maintenance platform, that's that's really what is setting us apart from a lot of the players in the space. And this is, so firmware updates, any customization of the charger, so pushing the different UI versions onto the screen, configuring everything down to like the pre-authorization pricing for the credit card readers. Mm -hmm. uh, you can do all that through here. And the advantage to it is that you can have this while still operating the charger on a third-party OCPP platform. You know, typically, let's say, you know, you have you purchase a different brand of commercial charger. As soon as you connect that to a different OCPP backend, then, you know, it can only be connected to one OCPP platform at a time. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the charger manufacturer, they lose any control or insight into the charger as soon as it's connected to different software. The big pain point for a lot of operators, and, and understandably, is that think of it as that, okay, if, if it's an Autel charger and it's now connected to, you know, ABC software company, then as soon as there's an issue, you know, the operator, who do they call first? Oftentimes they'll call the software provider first. And the software provider says, oh, well, there's nothing wrong with our platform. It's <laughs> got to be on the charger side. Mm -hmm. On the charger side, you know, if we don't have in, insight into the operations of the charger, we're not even connected to it, then we can't really help with diagnosis either. So, unfortunately for operators, it ends up being like a finger-pointing game mm -hmm. uh, between the hardware and the software provider. So, yeah. to, to remedy that, we our chargers support dual OCPP. So, you can be connected to any third-party software mm -hmm. and still be connected to our maintenance backend which enables you to, um, that way we can still do all of our remote diagnostics. You know, the the standard, like the OCPP 1.6J, it only supports like 20 26 different trouble codes that can potentially set. Mm. So there's limitations there where, okay, it might, you know, it's a power module related error or whatever, you know, points you in the right direction, but it doesn't help you actually diagnose what's wrong. No, not all the details. Yeah, and so with our backend, we've uh, I think it's 356 different trouble codes uh, depending on the nice. component. So that's what really sets us apart as far as the, the diagnostic capabilities um, and able to get in there and help remedy the situation. And if you know with our dual OCPP through our maintenance platform, we can still get in. You don't have to disconnect it from the other software platform in order for us to do anything. We can still get in on the backend help remedy the situation without actually messing up any of the operations uh, or configuration of the charger. Hmm. Wow, yeah, that is a really cool offering. If we're thinking about expanding the DC fast 
charging options out there. Reliability is obviously a huge concern. It's been a, a real life experience for a lot of folks, especially on the CCS charging networks. And to be able to diagnose things real time, but in detail so that you can actually get it fixed when, when it happens. So I think this part, would you say that this, I mean, what is the competitive advantage of Autel? I mean, it seems like you're really taking in the customer experience, but really what is, what are you trying to, how are you trying to set yourself apart from the competition? We're, we're- you know, mainly trying to not make the same mistakes as a lot of the others. You know, there, there's many ways that we're going about that. But, you know, we're also trying to have product solutions for any need. So if it's a residential, if it's workplace charging, if it's, you know, fleets, school buses, that type of thing, all the way up to, you know, the really high speed charging. You know, we kind of have a solution in each space. We're not focusing on just one niche. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we, we've always been a fully vertical manufacturer. So everything's made in-house. And, you know, I'm sure you've heard of excessive lead times from a lot of players in the space because it's, you know, white label products or just uh, supply chain shortages. But our supply chain has always been very intact due to uh, making all of our own stuff on the diagnostic side of the company. Mm-hmm. We're able to kind of repurpose um, a lot of those manufacturing lines to now start producing all of our EV chargers and we have very good relationships with, um, you know, any external suppliers as well. So we have plenty of inventory of all products in the U S right now. We also have, you know, operations in Europe. We've launched in South America, Asia, Australia. So, you know, obviously I'm on the U S side, but, um, we do not have any shortages and worst case scenario if there's like a really large order, the longest lead times we've ever had is about 14 weeks. And that's if we need to like start mass producing a bunch of a product like today, it'll be, you know, basically that site within 14 weeks, which is wow. not too bad when it comes to, uh, you know, long lead times. Yeah, I would say so. What can we expect from Autel in the future? I know you spoke a little bit when we were in person about, you know, UL certification. Are there any other projects that we should keep uh, our eye out for? Our our DC high power, the UL certification on that is scheduled to be completed literally mid-December here. So today's December 5th. Soon. Uh, So a week or two that, you know, obviously we can't legally ship or sell a product until that certification is complete we do have you know many pending orders on that as well uh, already waiting so you know once we're able to start shipping those and those start popping up it's it's you know that that's going to be a really popular product we're going to be releasing a couple of new things at ces this year anybody watching wants to come to vegas uh what is it january 9th to the 12th i believe yeah. the, days of CES. It's like the second week of january yeah yeah so We'll have a nice big booth there, so keep your eyes out for that. I have to say we've got a great team. I've worked at a few different companies in the past, and I've never been at a company that has this many people dedicated to the products that we're bringing to market and, and so much talent. So it's amazing what we've accomplished and brought to market in, you know, like two years. We have a lot of even bigger things in the works, um, some things that I can't even speak on right now. So, yeah, keep your eyes uh, posted for any any highlights, um, any you know uh, news releases, that type of thing. But we're uh, we're we're quick, we're nimble um, in how we bring things to market, and I think that with our experience in the industry as well, we're really able to bring a different edge to to our products and to the market that um, a lot of the legacy manufacturers have not been able to do. Mm. Yeah, I'm excited to see because, of course, you have you have a lot of offerings. You have a lot of products 
the at-home charging, not as a worry with reliability, but stepping into the high-powered charging space is a bit brave, and it's a big undertaking as well, right? There's a lot more problems that come into play and challenges, I would say, that you have to uh, face head-on. So I appreciate that kind of approach where it's like, yeah, let's figure out what works, what doesn't, and be you know open to that kind of criticism, but it's definitely a lot to take on. So it'll be really interesting to continue to have you on the podcast, Dan. I've really in- enjoyed it. You're obviously very knowledgeable and know all about these products, but also to track how Autel might become, you know, like a huge potential player in the high power EV charging space that definitely could use some mm, innovation and uh, I don't know, just more solutions that are consistently reliable and help the EV adoption that is happening already. Absolutely. And that, that's our goal. So, um, yeah, I, you know, my, my hope is that we are going to be recognized as a, you know, number one, number two, uh, EVC manufacturer in the space. And, um, yeah, we're, we're open to feedback and we're quick to make changes when listening to that feedback. So I think that that's another thing that's separating us within the space is that it's not what you see is what you get. It's okay. What's your feedback? What can we change? When can we accomplish it? And, um, you know, we, we, we listen to our customers. Great. I, I mean, I really do like that approach. And I'm sure our audience will have tons of questions in the comments. So we can, uh, you know, if you have any questions for Dan, let us know or other topics that would be interesting to cover, what, how, however it relates to Autel Energy and um, your offerings, because obviously it's, it's pretty cool. And of course, we'll track the installation and eventually commissioning, energization of the charger at the powerhouse, the out-of-spec charger from Autel. So thank you, Dan, so much for coming on and telling us all about Autel products, your opinions in the market. Um, you, I think you have an interesting perspective. So thank you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. And uh, everyone, thank you for tuning into the Out of Spec podcast. Hope you're having a great day. Hope you enjoyed this content. Definitely let us know. We will see you next time on the Out of Spec podcast.